could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden, who is currently doing the Weddle, which is the NFL equivalent of the Wordle. For those of you who don't know, Logan, how is that going for you, buddy? Okay, I just got the team. That's huge. It is huge. I'm not going to spoil it in case you're also playing oh, the Weddle. What a thoughtful guy. But I will get this live during the show. Uh, they do the Purdle as well, which yeah. is the NBA-centric uh, guessing game. And when you get it, can you just scream hoorah? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'll just at a random point in this podcast, when I, when I yell hoorah, you'll know I got the Weddle. Sweet. All right, well, as exciting as that is, we're actually not talking about the NFL today. We're going to be talking about the NBA because tis the season, baby. After this show, we're really in the home stretch. I mean, we'll do our award picks, our all-NBA picks, and then we're into play-in and playoff content, baby, because the regular season has less than a week remaining, which is pretty insane. So we're going to start here, Logan. Because LeBron James is not playing tonight. The LA Lakers are currently sitting at 31-47, and 47, and it looks increasingly likely every second that they are just not going to even make the play. And they have to go to Phoenix tonight. Uh, they have the Warriors on Thursday. We have obviously talked enough throughout the year about how bad this team has been, how wildly disappointing and often gross to watch they have been. But... Let's put it in a historical context. Are they literally the most disappointing NBA team ever? Um, I would say they are. And uh, I took some notes here to take a trip through uh, NBA history to look at some of the most disappointing teams ever. And some of the ones that are at the forefront of my mind are teams that had playoff disappointment. Uh, the mm. 2021 Nets, right? Um, I think they're an all-time disappointment, uh, disappointing team now that Harden's gone, too. You don't win a title with KD, Kyrie, and Harden. Harden plays four games in the Eastern Conference semis, puts up 10, 5, and 6. So maybe that's a little more on Harden than anything else, but still very disappointing. Uh, the 2007 Dallas Mavericks, right? They lost in the first round of the eight-seeded, we believe, Warriors. Um, the 1999 Pacers finally seemed like they were going to get over that hump, uh, get to the finals. They eventually do go to the finals. You know, in a few years, they lose to the Lakers. But in 99, they lose to the eight-seeded Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals. So those are all, you know, three pretty big uh, disappointing seasons. But those are teams that we were disappointed by because they didn't win the title, mm-hmm. right? They had big. They didn't have big, long playoff runs that we expected. You know, they seemed to be the title favorite. We have to reframe our disappointment for the Los Angeles Lakers this season. This team didn't even isn't going to make the playoffs. They were my preseason pick to win the finals, and there were a lot of negative factors going into it. I still distinctly remember the first conversation we had about the Lakers, um, the spacing issues. The mess with Frank Vogel, um, it, rotations. There were so many red flags there, but I ignored them all because it's you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis, two of the top 15 players on the planet. You've got Russell Westbrook. Yeah, he may not be a great stylistical fit, but in theory, you should be able to make these things work. He's still a one of the biggest superstars in NBA history, in the NBA today, right? Like, there's no way that they don't make the playoffs and have a deep run, Right. Yeah, I think they are in terms of just... I think they're the most disappointing team in the history of the NBA. And, like, you look at teams that started hot. Like, I tried to look at teams that just missed the playoffs straight up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the 2011 Jazz in 2010, they go 53-29. and 29. This is Darren Williams, Paul Millsap, Al Jefferson. Uh, they start 24-11, and 11, they finish 15-32. and 32. Again, there's levels to this. 
I'm not talking about Darren Williams, Paul Millsap, and Al Jefferson. Right. I'm talking about LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. Like, the star power here is just different. Then I took down, again, these are teams that just start, uh, started hot. The 2016 Magic and Bulls. And then you look at their stars. Vucevic, Tobias Harris, Victor Oladipo, the 2016 Bulls. Jimmy Butler, D-Wade, Robin Lopez, and Rondo. Like, this is just a different level of of disappointment. Um, mm-hmm. I, again, it's just, they don't have the star power. And you talk about what we actually saw happen this year. If you had told me that LeBron was going to be in the running for winning the scoring title, that he was going to average 30 super efficiently, and you brought up at a point during our show, at uh, a point during the year, maybe this is the best offensive LeBron ever. Again, for context, baby LeBron, year three LeBron took a team with Larry Hughes as its second best player and went to the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. This team couldn't make the playoffs with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. And if you want more specifics on why this Lakers season has been so disappointing, uh, I implore you to check out Lakers tonight, uh, courtesy of the volume. Carson Brebber is on it. What Uh, a great recommendation. Yeah, him and Jason Timpf. Jason is also one of the best NBA analysts, I think, on the planet. Uh, They go live on YouTube, on Twitter. They're going to be live tonight at uh, 10 o'clock. This is April 5th. Um, Yeah, I mean, you guys do great stuff. What a generous guy. Um, If you want more in-depth stuff about why the Lakers season has been so disappointing, the in-depth and actual, like, semantics and... You know, just an in-depth look at why this season has been so disappointing and the actual specifics of it. I implore you to check out Lakers tonight on the volume Twitter or YouTube. They break it down uh, really well. But, I mean, yeah, I think if you are looking at the scope of NBA history, I think the 2022 Lakers are the most disappointing team ever. And I don't think it's that... I don't think it's that hot of a take. Yeah. I think it's, frankly, almost indisputable because you can look around at teams sort of in the first category you were talking about, right, where you have title expectations. And I would think of some groups that had maybe like all-time accumulations of talent, like the 2011 Heat, right, losing in the finals when obviously there was so much hype around the big three. I think about maybe the 04 Lakers just with some of the big names they had added with the Carl Malones and the GPs and whatnot, even though those guys obviously weren't near their primes. I think, though, within this category, there's a few teams that are somewhat comparable, like in the same genre. Because, again, you went through teams that were great in the regular season that had playoff letdowns. I would argue that inherently, that means you cannot be as disappointing as a team that a significant percentage of people would have picked to win the title before the year. I had going to the Western Conference Finals, and they're not even going to sniff the playoffs. And then... You mentioned some of the teams that start strong, finish weak, but again, like the talent on paper, the name brand value is not comparable. So I think there's a few that are remotely close to this Lakers team. I think the 2014 Nets are probably one of the first teams that people think of just because that was obviously after the KG and Paul Pierce trade and you had, you know, like five all-star caliber names with Joe Johnson and Darren Williams and Paul Pierce and KG and then Brooke Lopez, but like... I mean, obviously, there was just an age factor there in that how many of those guys were at their peaks? None of them, really. And even still, you know, they get to the playoffs, they win a playoff series and then lose in the next round. So it's like tough for me to put that on the same level. And then things only declined from there. But I don't think that that's nearly on the same level because I don't think people were out there picking them to win the title. Then you have the 2013 Lakers which I think maybe makes a stronger case just because of the kind of all-time names we're talking about. I mean, we have 
Kobe, Dwight, Pau Gasol, Steve Nash. And this is only three years removed from, you know, back-to-back Lakers titles. And, like, Kobe was not at his absolute peak, but still a first-team All-NBA kind of guy. Dwight had been perennially in the MVP conversation just, you know, right prior to this when he was in Orlando. And they only go 45 and 37. They get swept out of the first round. And, like, they had some health stuff, but even when healthy, they just weren't that good. And look at the guys down in that rotation, too. Ron Artest, you've got Antoine Jameson, Mm -hmm. the sixth man. Like, yeah, I think the Lakers... I think that Lakers team does make a, a decent run. Yeah, it makes a case. But again, still... At least they mm-hmm. got to the playoffs. And then I think you have like maybe the 98 Rockets just because that's year two of the Clyde, Akeem, and Barkley combination and they were not very good. They were 500 and they lost in the first round of the playoffs. And yeah, they had some health stuff as well where Akeem missed 30-something games and Barkley and Drexler both missed more than 12. But like still, they weren't great even when they were at full strength. But again... It's more predictable. I mean, the guys were all 34 or older. So I really do think that this isn't a class of its own because, yeah, obviously Russell Westbrook is certainly not at his apex and uh, LeBron probably isn't at his absolute apex, but he's pretty damn close. I mean, he's still a top five player on the planet and AD hasn't been healthy for so much of this year. But two years ago, you know, people were saying he was a top five guy on the planet and it did seem like they did, you know, pretty well in assembling the role player talent around them. I mean, that increased my optimism just with the shooting that they added. And then you find some diamonds in the rough, like an Austin Reeves, like a guy like Stanley Johnson, who are going to bring consistent effort and some of that two-way ability. And yet the team is just an absolute disaster. And uh, I don't think that we've ever really seen anything like this. Because again, look, I've been so adamantly anti-Russ for so long. And I think that even though I was anti-Russ at his peak in terms of his value on winning compared to the consensus because of the efficiency issues, the ball dominance, the defense, the poor decision-making, the turnovers, all these things, he had undeniably regressed from that point even last year. But I mean, the back half of last season, people were raving about Russ. I mean, it was triple-double mania, of course. He was putting up these ridiculous assist numbers and seemed like he had... A bit of that athletic spark back that was missing for him earlier in the year when he was settling a lot. And he was definitely playing better. And even though there was certainly some pretty widespread skepticism about, okay, how does this guy fit onto a team that has spacing questions with other star guys who need to get into the paint? And, you know, how is he going to commit defensively? All these things people were aware of. I really don't think pretty much anybody expected it to be this ugly because it has been absolutely horrendous. And then you have the AD factor, and then you just don't have another standout impact guy on this roster. I mean, fourth best player on the team is probably Malik Monk. Yeah, 100%. And I don't know. I guess coming into the year, you maybe could have predicted that, and maybe we should have been more aware of the fact that, hey, that was probably going to be an issue. I mean, unless you really thought Kendrick Nunn being healthy was going to change the outlook this season, which AD kind of implied the other day, which is pretty ridiculous. But yeah, it has been an unparalleled disaster historically. And like, again, people point to the health. AD came out and said, oh, imagine if LeBron and he literally said Kendrick Nunn and I were healthy all year. They're 17 and 22 when AD plays. 
And LeBron has, yeah, missed a decent amount of games, but he's still been healthy for 70% of the season. And so it's just like the issues are so clearly so much deeper than that. And yeah, I was really worried about the rust fit. I had a ton of issues with it. But this surpasses, I think, anything that we have ever seen. They are 31 and 47. The entire back half of the year has just been sliding further and further into the depths of the standings. Like it was ugly from the jump, but it's only gotten uglier and uglier. And I truly don't think we've ever seen anything like this with this this combination of names where, again, it's not like Barkley and Akeem and Drexler where people are like, even though the Rockets won a title two years before. It's like, okay, we're, we've seen some decline here. I don't, I don't think people expected this, certainly. Yeah, and I mean, there's just something to be said about... Uh, you need depth. You need depth in today's NBA. Like, mm-hmm. this is an embarrassing... It's an embarrassing accumulation of talent over... I mean, at the time, I thought... I thought the Wizards got fleeced, right? Oh, you know, they, you know, you get Kuzma back, you get KCP, mm-hmm. uh, you get Trez, and it's like, oh yeah, they got hosed. But there's just something to be said about really good role players that play hard, that play along, and just play confident basketball. Like, yeah, it's you and you and Jason have gone over this countless times, but the Lakers really do need to take a hard look in the mirror um, in this offseason, dude, because. There's a when is LeBron's contract up? After next season. I mean, the Lakers could be the worst team in the NBA. And do mm-hmm. they have their first round pick cuz I believe they they dealt it away, didn't they? They do not have their first round pick. They have I think one first in the next 5 years. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers literally the most would you say one of the two most storied franchises in the NBA? Probably the most storied franchise mm-hmm. in the NBA over the Celtics. This is a monumental collapse of a of, of just a, a franchise, like yeah. uh, unparalleled. And yeah, you get your one ring, but it's like at what cost? It being horrible for the next decade. Yeah, like why would guys want to come out here and play? You have no zero young talent on the roster. Yeah, um, it, it's just the Lakers are in a really bad spot, man. And I don't see this offseason, Obviously, they're going to move off the Russ contract in any way they can. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's the first step. You're going to try to rebuild and get a bigger bench. But uh, the Lakers are in jeopardy of being one of the worst teams in basketball for the next five years. Because I don't think LeBron's coming back. I think after that's up, I think he's going to go you know, play with Bronny mm-hmm. wherever he goes. Shout out. I'm rocking a Bronny jersey right now. Yeah, um, sure. Wherever he goes. But it's just um, – this has been a horrible mismanagement of, of talent, of, of, every, of everybody in this organization. It is, this is embarrassing. Yeah. And the Lakers should be ashamed of themselves. This is they're just like it's just so weird to think that they are behind in just thinking about basketball. Mm-hmm. They're just an organization that is just Yeah. They're just behind the curve. And I never thought you'd say something about that in a, a franchise like LA. Yeah. All right. So now that it's basically over, I mean their season is done yeah. in my eyes. I think we should explore some broader takeaways about team building, about what went so horribly wrong, because we've gone into some of the inner workings of the basketball fit earlier mm-hmm. in the year, the things that they could just never figure out. But I think philosophically, there's a few very clear things. First off, uh, I don't think Rob Palinka is a good GM or has ever been a good GM, and I don't think that Frank Vogel is a good head coach mm-hmm. in today's NBA. And I think we all felt that the construction of that first team was weird, 
They were able to win with that interior dominance and just the brilliance defensively that they reached, playing AD Wait, alongside yeah. other fives. And, and AD like, was able to stretch the floor then, too. And they had Scrappy Caruso, and they had playoff Rondo playing abnormally well after he was horrible that regular season. But still, it was a shooting-starved team. There wasn't like a really reliable, high-impact guy on that roster other than AD and LeBron. And I think that they caught the league in... A little bit of a down year. They still had to beat really good teams, of course, as you do to win any title ever. There's no asterisk coming from me. But compared to the talent that has accumulated over the next couple years, I don't know if that same iteration of that Lakers team is winning a title. And I think that we have seen how tremendously difficult it is to uh, build a basketball team that is capable of winning at the highest levels not even around Russell Westbrook, but with Russell Westbrook, certainly at this stage of his career. And like, yeah, he's lost something athletically, obviously. But I think more than anything, it is what we have always been able to see. It is the philosophical rigidity. It is the unwillingness to change. It is the insistence on taking bad pull-up jumpers. It is the insistence on roaming around on defense. It is the insistence on dominating the ball. All these things that no matter how talented you are, are never going to lead to true championship basketball. They will lead to raw production. They can lead to an MVP if you want, but they've never led to efficiency. They've never led to basketball cohesion. And all those things just get uglier when the guy gets worse and when he gets put alongside other star guys who also need the ball a lot, but they don't have, again, enough out of the role guys to... uh, like really just make the machine go and try to cover up some of those issues. And I think that that is interrelated with probably my third takeaway, just in terms of overall team building, which is that even though when I looked at this offseason, I thought, you know, they did a decent job of acquiring wings and guys who could knock down shots. And, you know, that was my feeling in the moment. It's all relative to expectation, I guess, because again, none of them are like high impact, real you know, big time winning role players. Like, I guess the thought is when you have dedicated $120 million of your cap to three guys and you have two other players who aren't on the minimum and it's THT who you're paying nine and a half million and Kendrick Nunn you're paying five million who again didn't see the floor this year and everybody else is on minimum deals, rookie deals. Really hard to win a title that way. Like, at the end of the day, The Lakers walked into this year with, dare I say, two guys who you thought you could consistently trust to be legitimately good winning basketball players because Russ, you always knew it was going to be up and down. Even guys like Melo and Malik who have brought that offensive spark at several points throughout this year, you don't get the two-way value. You knew it's going to be up and down. And then other than that, it's just like so many meh role guys. And it's like, yeah, again, shout out Austin Reeves for what he is which I think is a good basketball player, a guy who I want on my team, but I, I, I he gave me your third most reliable basketball player. And he has been. I, I mean, outside of Malik. You know yeah, what and I mean? even like, he hasn't shot the ball well enough this year. Yeah. Um, on that too, dude, it's even like the, the lineups that Vogel went with. It's like uh, Melo and Malik Monk, right? Really good shooters. You know, Melo's routinely asked to just kind of create shots and just be a spark plug off the bench, right? I would love Melo in a lineup alongside Russ or alongside LeBron. For the majority of this year, you're getting Melo off the bench running with the the bench guys, with Malik running the show. You know what I mean? Like, in just terms of collapsing the defense and stretching the floor, running AD alongside a five, there's there's been a myriad of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do... I want to add one more thing about Russ, man. Wait, I, I just want to ask you a question about Russ, I guess. Sure. 
in terms of his lack of self-awareness, the overall toxicity of him, like, mm-hmm. do you do you feel bad for Russ at all? Do you think all of this has been brought on him? Do you? It's tough because I think I've said this on the pod before, but throughout much of this year, I've wanted to do like a referendum on Russ and what the last half decade plus of his career has looked like and basically just say, yeah, this guy really has never been a winning basketball player. I feel bad about it now because everybody has jumped on the bandwagon so hard that it's just kind of vicious. But I mean, dude, he made his own freaking bed here. Like this is how the guy has played basketball forever. And it's just gotten uglier as his abilities have deteriorated. But genuinely, dude, if I were taking my top 20 guys to try to win a title throughout Russ's entire career, I'm not sure he would have been off the board for me. Like ability, raw ability just does not equate to winning. And I know some people will think, oh my God, that's so revisionist. You weren't saying that in the moment. But I was. I have always Mm -hmm. felt this way about Russ. And yes, it's gotten worse. Everything about it has gotten worse. But he's always been wildly inefficient. He's always been a poor decision maker. He's always been tough to play with. He's never played both ends of the floor. Not since he was very, very young. And he's never been a guy who was easy to fit alongside other stars. And he's never been incapable of playing complimentary basketball. So I don't care if you can drop 30, bro. If you're dropping 30 on 32 shots and you don't put the offense in rhythm. I mean, this has always been one of my favorite stats about Russ. And I went through and got it exactly. But it was for like seven straight years, I think, where Russell Westbrook teams were bottom three in the league and passes made every time. And that held true. And the teams that he switched to, like Houston dropped off significantly once he got there. Washington dropped off significantly once he got there. OKC went up significantly once he left. Like, I just always thought that was an interesting telling stat about the style in which he plays Mm -hmm. basketball. And it's just never been something that appealed to me. It's never been something that I've wanted. So yeah, we can talk about him historically. However, we can acknowledge the individual dominance but like, what has it ever meant? It has never really meant anything. And I would argue, you can simulate Russ's career a whole bunch of times. And I don't know how many times it goes better than this. And like, yeah, obviously they were close to winning a title. They had great teams because he played with freaking Kevin Durant. And, you know, had some really good role players in OKC. But the back half has been bad. And I I don't really know who else you blame. And, like, it's not all been horrible, obviously. There's been brilliant moments. There was a great few months in Houston. But, like, in the scope of things, in terms of how people are going to want to talk about him historically because of his raw production, he just doesn't deserve to be brought up in those conversations. And I think that this year, people have come to that realization to some extent, even though they're probably going to isolate it more and say, like, oh, it's a this year thing, and he's fallen off a cliff. But, again, I think that the signs have always been there, and it's always been true to just differing extents. You know, there's this old saying, Carson. Well, there's this saying about uh, a lot of people think about the NBA. It's like, um, how many guys total in the league? What, like uh, 200? How many total mm-hmm. guys are in the league? No. 400. 400. I, the 400 guys in the NBA aren't the best 400 on the planet. You know what I mean? There's a ton of guys in the Euro League in uh, – they play in other parts of the country that, could, that are probably talented enough to be in the NBA. You know what I mean? You know, guys that can serve up all kinds of buckets. But mm-hmm. it's like, 
Yeah, the top 150 guys are probably the most talented. And then the rest are just guys that commit to roles. They can play mm-hmm. their roles really well. And I think you can just you can just really apply this to Russ. Like, Russ has always been one of the most talented, not this year. I, Russ has always been one of the most purely gifted players uh, to ever play the game. But it's like, Russ never committed to a role. He never committed to winning. He never committed to wanting mm-hmm. to do winning things. And, like you said, man, I mean, you can look back and you can just, you just watch Russ and he just makes dumb decisions. And it's like, you know what, man? I think there was a time and place. I think if you redo Russ's career, I think if you build the per- the perfect system around Russ, I think you could win. And that perfect system... Win to what extent? I think you can make the playoffs and maybe get a miracle run. And, it, and it's not great. What I'm saying is you need a lot of things. I think you need a really good rim runner. Um... I think you need a lot of shooting throughout the lineup, and Russ always needs the ball in his hands because he knows no other way to play. I don't want him shooting catch-and-shoot jumpers. I don't want him shooting jumpers in general. I think there was a point in time where you could have built a 50-win team around Russ, but it would have to have been perfectly constructed, and it's like it's not a guarantee. And you're saying, yeah. though, I do want to clarify one point that you said. Mm-hmm. At, at any point in the league— you would not take him among the top 20 guys at that league. In t- and I don't even think it's a bad take. I think it's a good one because there's probably role players that I would take at that point. That's what in I'm terms saying. Of winning. Like, do you want, and this is a good, sorry, not to cut you off. No, go but ahead. Like, do I want a guy like Macau Bridges or do I want Russell Westbrook? I want Macau Bridges every yeah. second of the day. Do I want Russell Westbrook or do I want Jay Crowder? I want Jay Crowder every second of the day. You know what well, I mean? Well, maybe now. Uh, now Jay Crowder. Well, Jay's also Jay is also in a very good situation. But you get what I'm saying? Like that. Yeah, player, actually, even now, I don't know that caliber of player. Yeah, I want Jay Crowder. Yeah, Macau. Yeah, take but, your Macau's, your super role players, yeah, your high IQ, efficient, versatile, two way. Understand their role to the extreme. Yes, I want those guys over Russell Westbrook. And I'm talking about if I'm trying to win a title, okay? And that's why I would never say Russell Westbrook hasn't been a top 20 player in the league because mm-hmm. in terms of ability and production and all these things, yes, of course. And even if I'm trying to build towards a different goal, like what you said, if I'm trying to raise the floor of a team, of course I would rather have peak Russell Westbrook than a whole bunch of guys. And for some teams, that is the reality. That is what they need. They need a guy who can carry their offense with really high volume production and collapse defenses and be that playmaking guy, even if he's not going to be efficient, he's not going to compete on both ends and all these things, just because they need somebody with that skill set at the very least. But if I am in my fantasy land where I am thinking, okay, I have a chance to build a title contender. So, you know, I don't need this guy to be my number one. I just want somebody who can play a role. And I believe I'm building a good team around them as well. Yeah, there's always been a fair share of guys who I would take over us. And I don't know, I'd really have to sit down and think about that 20 number because when he was younger, you know, athletically, there was stuff that you just really can't replicate. And at the same time though, it's like, he just never maximized it and he was never gonna maximize it, right? He was never gonna become an active cutter. He was never gonna become a big time screener. He was never gonna stop taking the bad shots. We're gonna move off ball. Right. <laughs> Like all these things that people talked about when he went to Houston, I was like, okay, let's see. And again, I mentioned the few good months in Houston where you know he was scoring 30 a game in the calendar year 2020 that season and was doing so on like solid efficiency. They had to get rid of their center, bro. Like literally, they had to clear out the paint so the man could just attack downhill. And it's like, okay, he played well individually, but look at the basketball sacrifice that you had to make there. You had to 
rock with Robert Covington as your center. And remarkably, they were actually able to hang in there defensively because they had some dogs. But, like, that's preposterous. That's crazy. You shouldn't have to reconfigure around star players like that. Guys are supposed to be bedrocks of your franchise. And that's uh, just always been the case for us. And people talk about 2017 and how remarkable it was that they won that many games. And it's like, I always go back and I say, well, look at preseason expectations. They were actually pretty darn similar to their preseason over-under. Uh, the Harden-led Rockets overachieved preseason expectations by far more and the reason that the Thunder were good that year was because they had a top five defense. They were an average offense. And he didn't have great talent around him, but he had respectable talent. So, yeah, I just think that the patterns have been true throughout his career. And the ugliness has always been there. And uh, we'll see what the hell happens after this year because... I don't know who is touching Russell Westbrook, and I don't even think we need to get into it because I don't think that we know. It's going to have to be somebody who's willing to take him on with assets, and again, the Lakers don't really have picks to give, and they don't have good players besides LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, And that's, that's the final thing I was going to say is if the Lakers just had one young asset or a first-round pick mm-hmm. or something— a contract like this actually is valuable because you can make the salaries work and you could actually go swing for another superstar— you don't have anything else to package along with Russ. So mm-hmm. it's everything's up in the air, man. I'm I, I want to see the Lakers be good again. Life is I feel like a little more fun when the national TV games with the Lakers are uh competitive and yeah. entertaining. Um yeah, I don't know, man. I he's not gonna be a Laker next uh he's not gonna be a Laker next season, but uh I don't know, man. Best yeah. of luck, Russ. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how historically inefficient he is as a star player his last five seasons dude it's so bad I mean over his career he's more than two percent below league average but I'm just pulling up what his last five seasons have been let's see if stat muse can come in clutch for me or if it's gonna uh, not understand the question somehow 51.6 over his last five seasons that's so bad dude league average is probably like 56 in that time and at the end of the day Efficiency is a measure of your ability to maximize your opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you obviously don't look at any of this in a vacuum, but being a high-volume guy only matters so much if you aren't making winning, efficient basketball plays, and that has too often been the case for our friend Russ. So, all right. We went on for a while there. I'm not going to lie. I don't know that I was expecting that, but I guess we need to get one last Lakers thing out of our system because we have gone a little easier Mm-hmm. on this after early in the year it was just like hey the lakers suck or are they going to figure it out over and over again and i think we decided that they suck there's another team out west though and in the pacific division that certainly does not suck even though they've lost two games in a row now i think that they're still okay and that's the 62 and 16 phoenix suns and we talked a little bit about this on our show <laughs> last friday which probably very few of you heard because as an april fool's day prank which was so silly our recording device decided not to work so we didn't record the show so we couldn't upload the show, but just imagine that we already talked about this a little bit, but now we're going to bring it on back. So we're talking about the Phoenix Suns, Logan. When was the last time you think that we saw a regular season team this good and taking it beyond that scope? Because I think their regular season brilliance is undeniable. How significant of a favorite do they deserve to be to win it all at this point? 
Yeah, um, I think that the best regular season team since the, the 2017 dubs, uh, we did talk about this on the live show. Um, I mean, basically, to sum it up, uh, yeah, I think, I think the Suns are basketball perfection, almost. You know, they just play. It's beautiful. And the reason I think that is, man, you don't see – I feel like timetables change. People change places so many times in the, in, uh, the NBA today so quickly. Um, the Suns have been able to play together for a long time, and you just see that chemistry each and every night, that synergy that they just know. It's like, it's like Peyton and Marvin Harrison, man. The chemistry is just there every single play, and you just – it's beautiful. It really is beautiful to watch. And I think that 2017 Warriors team had that. Even though it was you know interesting getting KD in there for the first fold, by playoff time, they had figured everything out. And so I'd say one of those Warriors teams in that time area, this is the most dominant regular season team uh, we have seen since then. And maybe if we're extending regular season team, maybe you could say the uh, uh, what the 2016 Spurs as well, the uh, mm-hmm. 2018 Rockets, they were very good. Um, in terms of just chemistry, though, I think it's one of those Warriors teams. Are they deserving of you know, the moniker of title favorites, I think they are, um, at least out of the West. And I have said this over and over again. I will say it again. My finals prediction right now, I keep saying this. People keep laughing at me. I brought this up on Sunday when I was like, hanging out with the fellas. I think we're getting Bucks Suns again. People laughed at me. No way. Why are people laughing at you for that? I don't know. They're like, no way. Giannis is, you know, Giannis is, isn't that good or something. I'm like, bro. What? Who are you hanging out with? Who are the fellas? People who don't know basketball. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Giannis isn't that good. What a take. Giannis is going to choke or something. I'm like, okay, buddy, please go watch a Bucks game. I I think they are very deserving of being the favorites out in the West. I just think when you look at other teams, we're going to get into Grizzlies talk in a minute, so I'll save that. Yeah. Um, Grizzlies are very young. Warriors have a lot of questions. Yeah. Um, out of the West, I don't think it's close. And then it's like, I, I don't know, dude. I don't. They've just been the cohesion is just off the charts. You've got the two best closers in basketball. You've consistently got one of the best defenses in the NBA tonight. You've got two of the most switchable wings in the league. This is the Suns are the most perfect basketball team. One of the most perfect basketball teams I've seen in my lifetime. And I think the most perfect basketball team that I've seen since 2017 Warriors. And I mean that. It's just weird because, I don't know, on those Warriors teams, you have two of the best players on the planet at the time. You have KD and CP3, and I mean, in Curry. And there's no disrespect to CP3 and D-Book on those fronts because offensively, mm-hmm. they're not comparable. But it, it, it's just unreal, man. I All right, so... I, I think the Suns are my title favorites, though. Okay, are they a significant title favorite to you? Like no, I can, just because I can't count out Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee yeah. is on their level in terms of, and it's like, dude, Giannis ate on Aiden last year mm-hmm. in a matchup again. I'm not counting out the Bucks. I think Giannis could do that again because yeah. it's it's Giannis. Like, yeah, they're not significant title favorites. I think they're the no brainers out of the West, and I think the only team that is on their level in terms of synergy and two way ceiling, two way ability mm-hmm. is the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, the Suns are incredible. I would agree with you in terms of regular season success. I think that the only real contender since the 2017 dubs would be the 2018 Rockets, who were really great. But there's a two-way ability with this team where they're top three on both ends. There is a level of depth and of excellence among everybody in that starting five. And, you know, obviously you include the first couple guys off the bench too who have been so great. 
they are remarkable, and I think that unquestionably they have the highest floor of any team in basketball. I think that it would be utterly disrespectful at this point to say that it makes any sense to take the Warriors above them or the Grizzlies, and I think that they deserve to be the favorite probably in every series. The only thing that I will say is that I think in terms of ceiling, there are other teams who can reach at least a very similar level, like Milwaukee playing their peak defense and shooting the ball really well, right? I would agree with that, yeah. Like I would argue maybe even the Sixers if Harden is playing mm-hmm. peak level. Cap. You don't think so? Cap. Dude, we just haven't seen Harden close to peak level. Because because he's not peak level. Okay, well, that's fair enough. My point is I'm talking about theoretical ceilings here. I don't think we're going to see that. Okay, good. Yeah, I just think Harden is just not the player that he yeah, was. Yeah, I agree. I actually agree with you on that front. And other than that, dude, honestly, it may only be Milwaukee. Like, I'm not even going to get into the theoretical ceiling of the Warriors anymore. I just think it's too far away. I don't think that the Grizzlies compare. And so I think that... I think you have the right finals pick, dude. I think that that would be my finals pick right now as well. Call me crazy, dude. I, I, I keep inching close, and I don't know why I'm doing this, because I think in a vacuum, I think I'd still like Embiid over him. I, dude, I think Boston may be my number two out east, behind Milwaukee still, even yeah. without Rob, even without Rob. And that sounds crazy to say. I don't think it's crazy. I just... I think James Harden is going to be James Harden in the playoffs again. And as much as I love Embiid, as, as much as I'm happy they made this move, yeah, I still think I trust Jason Tatum in this defensive identity for Boston just a little bit more. Tatum is Tatum is different, dude. Yeah. Tatum, this is the I've never seen. I don't. There are rarely there are very few players I've seen as confident as Jason Tatum is as he is mm-hmm. right now. Like he is, he is frightening. I would not want to come up on Jason Tatum in a playoff series, and it's. I, the Sixers and Celtics are close for me, but I think the Celtics may be number two. And in yeah. terms of ceiling, I don't know, man. I, the Rob Williams thing hurts, but JB is as good as number two as it gets. You've got well, some, oh. he's not as good. He's pretty good. He's, he's very good. Yeah. I, I think the Celtics are still very scary, and I, 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 st- I think I might have them over Philly. I don't think they're on terms of ceiling. When we're talking about ceiling, I don't mm-hmm. think they're at the Bucks level with the Suns, but I think they may be above the Sixers. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, Harden has just had such a weird year, and I don't know. Because of that, because of the injury stuff, because of just lack of motivation in Brooklyn, maybe I've been slow to acknowledge what is just flat-out regression because in terms of performance this year, he has regressed. But, I mean, we've just seen a few moments where it's like he's at his best, but I don't know. It hasn't been sustained enough for me to count on it, certainly. And, yeah, Milwaukee, I think, needs to be sharper defensively, but I also don't think it's totally unreasonable to say that they could get there. And they do have, you know, real impact role guys as well, and they do have, obviously, the big three of their own, and they have the top five guy on the planet. So uh, it's scary, but it's tough. Like, I think that the Suns have earned the benefit of the doubt to where we talk about what all these other teams can be and with the Suns, we just talk about what they have been. And that's regardless of really the personnel on the floor. Like we've seen them obviously overcome the 11 games without CP and they were still really good. We saw them overcome the stretch without eight. And like, it's been a tremendously consistent, excellent two-way basketball team with more players who I trust. It's been the clutchest team in the league. Uh, they're tremendously well coached. They're deep. 
yeah, they have real big time shot making. Like, I just think we'll see. I do believe they and Milwaukee are the two best teams in basketball right now. But I think that they deserve to be the title pick. But I still don't think they're like a super heavy favorite. And I guess that's why I wanted to frame the question this way because they're seven games up on the best record in the league. Mm-hmm. They're, what, 12 games up on the best record in the East? Like, nobody has been able to compete with them in terms of just winning basketball games. But obviously, as we all know, the playoffs are a little bit different. But there's nothing that they do that doesn't translate to the playoffs. Like, there's no reason to expect the Suns to drop off. It's just a question of, okay, can any of these other teams, as they find a rhythm and get fully dialed in, reach a similar ceiling? But I think the list there is very short, and it, it may only be Milwaukee. All right, so... We mentioned, just in talking about you know how the Suns compared to other teams contending, the Grizzlies a little bit. And you and I, I think, have both throughout much of the year seen the Grizzlies in certainly a different tier than the Suns. And obviously, things have gone so sideways with the Warriors as they've gotten healthy. But I certainly, or, or excuse me, as they haven't been healthy. But I certainly thought for most of the year that the Warriors had a different ceiling than the Grizzlies to reach. And yet... Here they are. They've won seven straight. They're 55 and 23. They've lost two games without John Morant all year. So let's put it in these terms. What has to go right for them to actually win the title? Uh, First, the Grizzlies need to have the best defense in the playoffs. Uh, They've consistently been up there all season long. They're number one in steals, number one in blocks, number one in rebounds. This is a team that hustles their ass off on the season, number two in deflections, number one in loose balls recovered. Uh, this, like, when you were talking about just night-to-night regular season basketball, I mean, I think that you could, you could honestly, I think you could throw them up there with the Suns in terms of regular season because they do two things really well, and that's they play hard defense and they get downhill. Um, they continue to dominate the interior. This has been the most consistent interior offense in basketball. They lead the NBA in points in the paint per game with nearly 17 a night. Like, there are some pretty big concerns with this team, um, and I'll get them out the way. They're number 23 in three-pointers attempted, number 25 in three-point percentage, and number 28 in free-throw percentage. And when you look throughout NBA history, only four teams have won the West while being in the bottom third of three-point percentage and free-throw percentage. And that's the early 2000s Lakers um, with Shaq and Kobe, and the 2020 Lakers. And so, it is possible. It is very possible for this team to get out of the West. What has to go right? Well, I think Jaron and Dylan Brooks have to shoot better from behind the arc. These are high-volume guys that get a lot of looks every game. They nearly shoot, they both shoot about five a game. Jaron has been at 32%. Uh, Dylan Brooks has been at 30%. Like, I, I just think that this, have to, this has to be a better half-court offense. And I don't think... I think this team is still going to get downhill a lot. Dylan Brooks is great at getting to the cup. John Moran is one of the be- maybe the best guard at getting to the hoop in all of basketball. Like those things are consistent. I just think that we're just going to need to see this team have a few big perimeter games. We're going to need these guys to shoot better, and that's kind mm-hmm. of a I don't know. It's kind of a boring. It's kind of a boring key, but I think it's true. And there's going to be a few swing games in this series, and we've seen it with Ja. Um, ja is going to have to have a few big perimeter games, I think, to to swing a series. I think mm-hmm. that is a major key for me. I think Jaws going to have to have have to go 5 of 7 or he's going to have to have a few big games from behind the arc to swing a series, but I think it's possible. I mean against against top playoff teams that they are going to run into, 
They've been great. They're two and two versus the T Wolves. I, I I think a T Wolves Grizzly series, honestly, round one would be a dog fight. They're four and zero versus the Clippers. They're three and one versus the Warriors. Two and zero versus the Jazz. Two and one versus the Suns. They can run with the big dogs. Any series that they get into is going to be a fight to the death. I think six or seven games. The mm-hmm. Grizzlies are not going to go out with a fight um, if they're healthy. They're going to make it tough on teams. And I think they have a consistent formula of getting downhill. I, I think my thing is just that the Grizzlies are going to have to shoot the lights out and get hot for an entire playoff mm-hmm. run. Yeah, I think it's a tough path. Let me just clarify a couple of things at first because I believe they're actually 19th in three-point percentage. And oh, okay. you mentioned the points in the paint. I think you may yeah, have just misspoke. Yeah, yeah there you go. But that, I mean, does comfortably lead the league. And, like, that was obviously the trend last year as well. So we saw against the Jazz. is that insistence on getting into the paint. That was even more dramatic with Valanchunas, but obviously they still have the best paint guard in basketball. I think one thing that stands out to me is that they would need some pretty remarkable secondary creation. Like, obviously, Desmond Bain has been so good this year. So, so good. A lot of what he does, though, is just kind of like all-around basketball ability, right? Like, some of it's creating for himself, but it's also a lot of shooting off the catch. It's working off ball. Like, he's just a really good all-around weapon. And I certainly appreciate that. That's a guy who I would want. But when it comes to the playoffs, you need multiple guys who can go out there and really get themselves a bucket. And so I think it's either got to be him or it's got to be Dylan Brooks, who I think in some ways has more of that Mm -hmm. ISO go get a bucket mentality. And we actually saw that in the playoffs last year when he was playing really well. But for him to do that efficiently over an extended period, I think is kind of a lot to ask. And so... Are they going to get that second true star production? I think that's a a tall task, and I think that that's kind of necessary because as great as Jaw is, he's not an actual superhuman. And there's a lot of balance here offensively. There's a lot of guys who can score the basketball and do so within the flow of an offense, but I just think that they're going to need that second like major punch from the perimeter. But I think that a ton of what they do translates super well. I mean, obviously, few teams are as good in terms of two-way ability. I, I still really, really, really like their depth and their coaching and their identity. And I trust them to consistently give effort. I trust them to get out and transition. You know, I think that they're an okay shooting team. But yeah, I think they would have to shoot the ball really well. I think that they would need Jaw to be pretty sensational. And then I think they would need either Brooks or Bain to also be pretty sensational. I think those are really good keys. And in terms of tough late game bucket getting, the only counter I would have to really relying on Banner Brooks, uh, Ja has been number one in clutch points uh, per game and everybody in the NBA. Um, so, I mean, in terms of, cl- I agree with you. In the playoffs, you need two closers. You need guys who can yeah. go get you tough buckets to close out games. And it's, I don't even think it's just closing. I think it's just overall creation, yeah, right? Yeah. Because playoff dynamics are different. Like, mm-hmm. Jaw is as difficult to stop getting to the bucket as anybody on the planet, right? I mean, his ability to maneuver in traffic, to split doubles, to keep that ball in a string no matter what, to aerially navigate and just go around guys and get up a good look no matter what, it's insane. But still, you know, you're going to see people try stuff defensively. And there are questions, I think, about the reliable shooting of Dylan Brooks, 
of Triple J. You have a non-floor spacer in Steven Adams. So there may be teams who decide, all right, well, if it's just going to be jaw coming downhill all day, we'll load up the paint a little bit more and we'll see if these guys can beat us making shots. And they certainly will be able to sometimes, but like the consistency isn't always there. And then if that happens, you just need another release valve. You need another guy who can put pressure on a defense, who can take pressure off of jaw, who can make those big time shots from the perimeter. So I think it's a four quarters thing, really. Oh, you're describing Tyus Jones. Yeah, correct. I was describing Tyus Jones there. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and that's going to be real. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what teams do against them defensive. That's would that be what you would do if you were scheming against Jaw? Are you, you going to like not like build a wall? Are you going to stack the paint and see if they can shoot you to death? I mean, that seems like that's the weakness of the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. What do, you, what do you think? Well, I'm conflicted because as great as Jaw is. He doesn't always score with overwhelming efficiency. And again, if those guys are just getting and knocking down open shots because he's collapsing the defense and you're helping super aggressively, like if they're making the shots, well then damn, that's pretty darn easy offense for them. But what I'm thinking is theoretically when you have jaw killing you, which is going to happen in some games, teams are going to say, okay, we need to adjust. We can't just let jaw get 45 on us. And when that happens, I think that that is the logical adjustment. Yeah, I think it's a good call. Um, who would... D'Anthony Melton's interesting, too. I think he could be big uh, in a few big uh, playoff spots. Yeah. I'm counting on... I think... I don't know, man. I really do like Dylan Brooks as an isolation scorer in in terms of... Is it going to be enough? Is it going to be enough? That's, like, that's the big question. He's a tough bucket getter. He's a dog. He doesn't fear the moment, but like, he's not going to do so efficiently, and that's kind of a big deal. And like, I guess just the thing for me is, as good of a regular season team as they've been, what was the last team that we saw win a title without a second true star? Twenty Mavs. Yeah, and they were built perfect. I mean. That's just it, the Mavs are such an anomaly in that respect. Mm-hmm. You had shooters all over the floor. You had grit, and I'm not saying the Grizzlies don't have gritty, hard defenders. It was a much better shooting team. They yeah, were built perfectly around Dirk. You had all these supplementary ball handlers. You had Jet mm-hmm. Stevenson, J Kid, and this would I, the Grizzlies are the only team. I yeah. think instructive. I can't even think of a team that's gotten deep. That's gotten close to winning a title. It's built like this, and that's what's so hard. In betting on the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they do do things exceptionally well. You would think can override some of that with the defense and the depth and, you know, the overall balanced offensive contribution. But I still do kind of believe in that philosophy. Like, and even Jaw is a, you know, back half of the top 10 player, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's not going on a peak LeBron run and just carrying the team to that extent. So, I think they're really good. I think that unless the Warriors get their act together... And, you know, we'll see what Steph even looks like. I don't know. So many concerns there. I think the Grizzlies deserve to be the favorite against everybody out West except for the Suns. But, and, and, you know, I do actually think that if it ends up being the Mavs in the three seed, like the Mavs could win that. I think the healthy Warriors could win that. Like the Grizzlies are not in a different tier to me still, but they are great. They've been a great regular season team. But, yeah, I think a lot would have to go right and they are not built like a traditional title winner, even still. Okay, so obviously we're shaping up for the play-in now, which, by the way, just quick thoughts from me on the play-in. I think, I understand that this is not going to happen because the NBA wants, 
as much meaningful basketball when it comes to playoff time and I'm sure all the revenue and yada yada and they've committed to this play-in format. But this is what I've been saying. I think the play-in should be triggered like it was in the bubble by a team being within two games of another team. And this isn't an issue out East. I actually think it's going to be amazing out East this year. And that's what we're going to talk about. But out West, I think it's really stupid that the 45 win currently Timberwolves could theoretically be playing for their lives against the 33 win Spurs. And I don't think even the Clippers should have to do it. Like, if you play 82 games, it should mean something, right? You shouldn't be able to get knocked out by a team that you are 12 wins better than, is my philosophy. But yeah, anyway, 100%. It's a larger conversation for another day, but I truly believe that. And I think it kind of sucks that this year we're going to see that potential reality. Like, it's going to come down to a one and done game for either the Clippers or the T-Wolves competing against a team that they've just been better than all year by a good margin. Yeah. I don't know. I think that kind of sucks. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, Logan, the Atlanta Hawks out east who have really caught fire and have won five straight games, worked their way up to the eight seed after it's been overall a pretty disappointing for them following the Eastern Conference Finals run. But what do you make of what we've seen out of Atlanta as of late? Well, first of all, I just want to flex our cumulative nerd session muscle here. I mean, we said this. Hawks, I don't know about you. I mean, I feel like the Hawks were our, one of our big teams. We said second half of the season, we're going to see them catch fire again. Mm-hmm. Like I, This was kind of expected. Like, they did this last year on their ECF run. I, I, the Hawks, just they just do this. Um, they've won 10 of uh, their last 13. They're 7-3 over their last 10. Like you said, they've won five straight. They're number eight in offensive rating on the last 10, number five in net rating. Um, dude, I just, I look at that Nets game, man, and I'm, if we're talking play-in, I don't want to run into Trey Young in a single-game elimination. Mm-hmm. Trey Young is insane, dude. Nine points in the final minute of Hawks-Nets just closes that game out, just slams the door in the Nets' face. Atlanta's bench is so much deeper than Brooklyn's, and like I just think they're just one of the deepest teams in the league in terms of guys that you can rely on. Carson, they outscored uh, Brooklyn's bench in that game, forty-six to twelve. Mm-hmm. And props to KD, man, fifty-five points in that game, third quarter he goes for nineteen, keeps them close. They needed all of it, and the Hawks were missing open shots to let that happen. Like it's not like the Hawks' offense was letting up. Brooklyn was giving them open threes. That entire period. They were giving them open looks at the bucket, and they were just missing easy shots. Like, props to KD for keeping it close. It shouldn't have been. The Hawks should have ran away with that game. Like, teams built like Atlanta, and they just, the offense is just not going to let up. And maybe the defense is a concern for you. I just, there's so many shooters here. Mm-hmm. Bogey, Herder, Hunter, John Collins, Gallinari off the bench. They can just kill you. And then you're talking about in terms of penetration. I don't like when Herder or Gallinari gets the ball and try to go downhill. They just kind of suck. You mm-hmm. see a lot of turnovers. Bogey is a great secondary ball handler in terms of getting down here. I like DeAndre Hunter when he's tasked with creating a little bit of something. Uh, the Hawks are a terrifying team in the play-in. And I think whoever they play, I think the Hawks are going to win. I would put money down that the Hawks win whatever first play-in game they have and they get mm-hmm. in. Um I am riding with the Hawks. If I'm the Nets, I don't want to run into Atlanta. Um, and I think that's my I think it's my hottest take. I don't know if I'm going to... I'm going to look at the standings one more time before I make this official announcement on the pod. I think my official bet right now is that the Nets are going to miss the playoffs. 
I think that's my bet right now. That is bold. It is. It's very bold. Would you like to elaborate? I think their bench kind of disappears sometimes. I think their defense sucks. KD and Kyrie are awesome, and that's what I'm betting against. That's why it's a hot take. Look, all I'm saying is Brooklyn is going to stick in this 10 seed, right? Mm-hmm. Charlotte is not a team I want to run up against in the play-in. Why? Charlotte does not stop offensively. Brooklyn is not going to be able to stop them. You just kind of can't stop Charlotte. You've got all these great cutters to the basket, the P.J. Washingtons, the Miles Bridges of the world. Um, you fall asleep. They're going to catch you lacking in the paint. you got all kinds of shooters. I love, like, Scary Terry can go off in a single game. Great shooter off the dribble. You've just got guys who can fill it up inside and from behind the arc, and I'd say that for Charlotte or Atlanta. I, and Cleveland isn't even, that hard, isn't even that easy of a draw. If they lose and Brooklyn gets mm-hmm. out, my hottest take heading into the play-in is that Brooklyn misses the playoffs completely. I think Charlotte is a tough matchup for them. I think they probably win that. I think they lose the second game to either Cleveland or Atlanta, whoever they draw. I would not want to draw Atlanta. I, I, in, in terms of, maybe this is even hotter take, dude. I think Atlanta, I would give Atlanta or Brooklyn, if Brooklyn does somehow get in, I give them a puncher's chance against Miami round one. No cap. Yeah. I honestly don't think it's a bad take because like, I'm just going to focus on the Atlanta side of it. The Brooklyn take is interesting. I think I would certainly take them over Charlotte. I think the Cleveland factor right now is interesting just with how much they've been slumping. But I agree with you in giving credit where it's due to Atlanta. And I don't think they're going to do what they did last year. Just because the defensive ceiling they reached last year was so pivotal to what they were able to achieve. And you could see that coming. Like... Just when Capella was on the floor, they were equivalent to a top-five defense in basketball. When he and DeAndre Hunter played together, they were equivalent to the best defense in basketball. And this year, it's been more like, okay, they've been able to salvage what was one of the worst defenses in basketball, unequivocally, and make it respectable. Like, over their last 15 games, they're an average defense. We've only seen their real starting five play 16 games together, and in the minutes that they have played together... They're an average defense, and I think that that is appropriate. But an average defense with the number two offense in basketball Mm -hmm. and shooting everywhere and dynamic athletes rolling to the bucket and one of the most special offensive engines that we've seen, both as a scorer and a playmaker who can get into the lane at will and obviously can have these monster outside shooting nights in Trey Young, that's very scary. I mean, we saw them do it last year, obviously, get to the Eastern Conference Finals when Trey individually, you know, he wasn't efficient. I mean, but his imprint on every single game was so overwhelming. His ability to create shots for others, his ability to get to the line and just get into the lane no matter what, like, that carried them. And again, they had to be pretty good defensively, but I think they've gotten to the point where they're engaged enough, they're healthy enough, that they're a fine defensive team. And uh, them being a fine defensive team means that they are scary, and they can certainly compete and at least take a couple games off of another team, like in a first-rounder. Yeah, 100%. So, I think we agree, and I'm glad that they figured it out, dude, because they were way too talented to be disappointing. And, you know, I don't I don't love the depth. And, again, I, still, their defensive ceiling is not all that high compared to the competition, but they have the overwhelming offensive ability that is kind of ever-present, and... I think that's exciting. Starting from scratch. Yes. No other players 
and just focusing on the offensive side of the ball, where are you taking like Trey Young in terms of just like guys to start your offense with? So I'm building the offense from scratch. Yeah. You can take certainly top 10. Yeah. I'm taking him over jaw. I think so too. But he's still somewhere (gasps) in the back half of the top 10. I don't know if I can say that, dude. I would take him over jaw. Yeah. I think he's a more complete scorer. He's a more efficient scorer. He's a better playmaker. And I don't know if you're thinking about injury stuff long term, too. It's not like Trey's shooting's going anywhere. His style's kind of more built for. Yeah, I actually I think that's. I don't think it's a bad take. Would you take. Um, is this close? Is Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker? Are they close to intern? No. Okay, just first guys. Well. Okay, I don't want to totally dismiss it because there's the factor of, yeah, if I'm building a whole team, right? And this is what I always said about Book, just as an overall benefit to his game, is he is super easy to fit alongside other people because he doesn't need to dominate the ball. I mean, he can be point Book, but he can also be curling around screens and scoring out of the post and doing all sorts of different stuff, Book, catch and shooting. So there's an argument for him in that respect, but I think we've reached the point where Trey is so overwhelmingly gifted offensively that there's still a gap there. And again, overall basketball player, then it gets more complicated because he's literally one of the worst defenders alive. But Is it close at all between him and Tatum? Yeah. It's 100% close. What about like... Uh, I need to actually even think about if I would take... I mean, the way Tatum has been playing as of late, I don't know, dude. Like, that level of scoring wing is insane when you're dropping 30 plus a night really efficiently and you're drawing a bunch of doubles and you're successfully playmaking out of it like mm-hmm. that's pretty nutty because again the only real drawback to Trey is that he is one man offense you know it's like we'll see what Trey looks like if he ever plays alongside a real star secondary ball handler but some of his value is going to diminish because he's not going to do anything when he doesn't have the ball in his hands so I, I might just offensively even take Tatum over Trey right now. I think it's very okay. close, but I think both those guys are in the back half of my top 10 somewhere. I hope I have enough spots for this. Okay, final set of guys. Okay. Um, star guards. Okay. Uh, like Kyrie and Damian Lillard. Uh, I would take Trey over Kyrie because I think that the playmaking gap is significant enough. And last year's Dame, that's so close. I mean, I do think Trey, I think Trey has a more complete command of the game. Mm-hmm. And I do think he has a different consistency getting into that painted area, getting to the line, getting up those floaters, throwing those lobs. As a pure scorer, Dame maybe has a slight edge, but I don't know, dude. I might take Trey for real. But, I mean, the other thing is that Dame is at least more willing to do, like, the catch-and-shoot stuff. Like, he doesn't play off-ball a ton, obviously, but there's a little bit more of that. I don't know. What about you to all of these? I think Trey Dame is damn near a draw for me. I think it's a draw. I think I'm probably, at this point, taking Trey just Assuming that uh, Dame Mm -hmm. looks like himself next year and not whatever the hell happened this year. Exactly. Um, I'm taking Tatum over him for sure just because... I don't know. I just think long term. I think Tatum can play. I think Tatum can play a little more complimentary basketball. We've yeah. seen that. I think there's value in that. I agree. I Tra- think I would take Tatum too. 
Trey is top ten for me. I think a hundred percent. I mean, it's a very short. I think I think I take him over Jaw. It's a very mm-hmm. short list. I mean, Trey is one of the most productive single man offenses we've ever seen, and you seem to show love. What made you? Scratch your head like that. Bro, Tatum post-All-Star break is 31 a game on 64.6% true shooting. 51-41-87 splits. Like, there are really few things more valuable, dude. I mean, that is just peak scoring of the basketball. Logan is going. All right. So, things are going well for the Hawks right now. Things are not going well for the Utah Jazz. And we talked last week about, you know, the boiling point that they seemed inevitably be reaching. How are they going to restructure? It just feels more and more inevitable every second. I don't think they're going to do anything of significance in the playoffs. I'd be surprised if they won a series at this point. It's certainly not impossible. But I picked them to go to the finals before the year. I don't know. Maybe that was foolish of me. But I had a lot of faith in their two-way ability, in their shooting, in their complimentary role guys and it's just not worked at the level that you would have expected so we've talked about the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert potential breakup but where do you think either of those guys would end up potentially if that breakup were to occur um it's a good question I do want to preface this Tim McMahon went on the low post and said that uh you know the Jazz were likely to make you know franchise altering moves if they Mm -hmm. lose in the first round uh, Utah could literally trade anyone after the season. Um, Donovan Mitchell is likely to not stay long-term in Utah, and there is mutual interest. Apparently, the, the big rumor is that uh, the Mavs would be interested in Rudy Gobert if he's available. Um, I, I'm sure everyone's heard this stat at this point, um, if you're listening to the pod. Mitchell averages 3.2 passes per game to Gobert. Uh <laughs> That's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you just watch during games, man. It doesn't even matter if Gobert seals his guy off and he's got a six-foot dude on him. They're just not giving him the rock. Um, yeah. I don't know if I've ever... I, I, genu- I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that, bro. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. The same stats have been going around everywhere, but they are hilarious. And I think another one is that he scored 14 times out of the post on switches this entire year. Yeah. And you know what's messed up too, dude? No bag. Well, you say that... <laughs> no, Gobert doesn't have a deep bag. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Gobert does stop this Utah offense from slumping sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, Because they can't... Look, Utah's been number one in offensive rating. They're the number yeah. one pick-and-roll team 100%. in basketball. Uh, Gobert is great for screen assists and opening up space in that regard. I don't want to act like he's a complete zero on offense. There are valuable things that Gobert does. Big, tall, long. Yeah, you know, all the great things that Fabricio Alberto brought the 07 Spurs. Um... <laughs> No disrespect. I would like Gobert on my team. I, I, and I don't think he's as bad of an offensive uh, piece as people make no, him out to be. he's a good offensive player. Um, I think the Mavs are, are an interesting dis- destination for Gobert, the international effect. You bring Luke and Gobert together. I also mm-hmm. just think I mean, you have an offensive centerpiece and a defensive centerpiece. Yeah. I would love to watch that happen. Um, yeah. And with Luka finishing in the mid-range as effectively as he does, you don't really have to worry about, you know, not being able to get fully downhill with a guy clogging the lane like that. That being said, um, honestly, at this point, I kind of want to see the Jazz lose in the first round. You know what I'm saying? I want to see some chaos. I'm sorry for Utah fans that have been sticking this out for so long. The rumor for Donovan Mitchell is that uh, the Knicks really like him. And I think that could be a mutually beneficial trade for a few reasons. Knicks have a lot of young talent that I like. It would be cool to see them freed up. I think you have to give up R.J. Barrett. 
Then you're giving up, you know, a, I don't know, some young guy, a Deuce McBride, a, a Quentin Grimes, a Jericho Sims, an Emmanuel Quickly, a Cam Reddish, maybe, I don't know, and then some picks. Uh, that You have to give up all that to get Donovan Mitchell. Um, those are my two most likely destinations. Those are the ones that we keep hearing. But then again, the Knicks kind of get mocked everywhere um, yeah. for every superstar that has yeah. ever existed. So I don't know how much to buy in. I'm going with Mavs for Gobert. I'll go Mitchell for the Knicks. Is there any other really big destinations that stick out to you? I think Gobert to the Mavs is definitely the most interesting because, honestly, I don't really want to acknowledge the possibility of a Donnie trade. Like, yeah, that would be stupid, bro. I, I mean, he just continues to improve and is the kind of lead guard offensively that every team needs if you want to truly contend. He is the most efficient volume pick and roll scorer in the NBA. He is a good playmaker. He is a three-level guy. He's a great athlete and a dynamic shot maker off the dribble. Like, just... Every single team in basketball needs a Donovan Mitchell. He doesn't need to dominate the ball. Like, he's just a great offensive player, and he's young, and he's getting better, and he doesn't cost quite as much as Rudy Gobert, which is the really only conflict I have because I like the Gobert fit in Dallas in terms of what you presented. You have a one-man offense in Luka Doncic, one of the most exceptional players in terms of elevating his teammates and carrying a ridiculous load just in terms of usage rate in every single possession coming down the floor and just getting a good shot of his own or creating one for a teammate. And then you have the guy who like just by dropping out of the pick and roll and just hanging out in the paint single-handedly changes games over and over Mm -hmm. again. And just with the defensive identity that the Mavs have found, their ability to compete at a really high level without an imposing five, like just by kind of busting their asses out there, I think that would be really great. I still would like to see the Mavs get a really good secondary creator, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's hard to find those guys and and what they have right now is working well enough, but we're talking about title potential here. And yeah, people will point out, you know, some of the defensive rigidity stuff with Gobert in the playoffs. But again, I think that that is overstated. I think that people overstate how many teams can manipulate him and go five out like we saw the Clippers do. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying he's as valuable defensively in the playoffs as he is in the regular season, but he's still one of the best defensive players on the planet in the playoffs. And you put that with a Luka-level guy offensively with good shooting on the wings with some other creation. I don't know. It's certainly scarier than what they have had up to this point. And they've been pretty scary as of late. The thing is, you're playing Rudy Gobert... $47 million in 2026. And it's like, are they going to get locked in to another big man for big money who's supposed to be the second star who's kind of a beta? I mean, like, you know, the KP experiment. How can you call him a beta, bro? Rudy Gobert? He shut down the league. He's scurred, bro. By himself. He can get in my pocket. That's why I think that he's a beta because he doesn't attack switches because he has no game because he has no dog or aggression and he cried when he wasn't an all-star <laughs> i mean he's a very good basketball player he's just a beta he's just kind of a beta yeah <laughs> like my point is just i think he would make them better i really i think that they probably should do that but it's just like i don't know because this is what we talked about last week i do not think rudy is a true max player i don't think he's a 40 yeah. something million dollar player i think he is a 20 something million dollar player because he is great defensively and offensively good at a very simple role, which is set screens, roll the bucket, finish efficiently, clean up on the offensive glass. You're also, you also are sacrificing, you know, that all-time spacing that you get with Luka. 
Um, by yeah, I'm not too worried about that. No, though. Having he, like one good role man is. Uh, I think so too. It's not a problem. Yeah, I, I'm just that is a, that is a, a um, you know, a con to going yeah. out and getting Gobert. I think it would be worth it a while, and I 100% agree with you. The Jazz should not. If you're choosing between the two, yeah, good. Get get Rudy out yeah. of there. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. And I also will say, I think that the questions I have about Gobert on the Mavs apply to Gobert pretty much anywhere. Like, teams are just going to run into that same question of, is the contract worthwhile? And I don't think it really is. And I don't want to see the Mavs get trapped because I want to see Luka win as much as possible and put in the best situation. Mm -hmm. But I do think that would make them better. On the Donnie front, I mean, yeah, that seems to be the team that everybody's talking about. I don't know what the hell that looks like for the Knicks. Like, my honest thought is that he's just not going to get moved. Like, if they're doing franchise-altering stuff, it better be moving out the Stifle Tower. Yeah. The Frenchie. The Frog, dare I say. Because I'm keeping Donovan Mitchell in my building. All day. All right. No other teams? I, I, I can't. <sighs> I mean, listen. Once this becomes a reality, we can pick our brains a little bit more. But I do think Gobert to the Mavs. <laughs> Is interesting. It's funny. Somebody, All right. I will say somebody said uh, Harden will love the clubs in Utah. Yeah, he's a good pick. <laughs> All right. One last talking point for us here, Logan, before we skedaddle. We talked about how the Lakers are probably the actual most disappointing NBA team ever. But within the scope of this season, which team do you think fooled us the most in terms of they started the year well and then they fell off? Oof, they needed that. <laughs> they needed me to say that. Who stands out to you there? I actually went with the opposite of this. Um, what? People did tell them they fell off. I went with the Boston Celtics. They fooled us into thinking that they stunk. Oh. Yeah. Positive spin. I literally told them they fell off. They needed that. And they needed that, bro. Yeah. I mean, I think the Celtics fooled me the most. Um, I have been burnt two of the last three years. I picked the Celtics to win the title preseason, and then they just stink. And then look at this. This year, I go, oh, no, the Boston Celtics, they're frauds. They do this every year. And now they're good. Um, yeah, I think they fooled me the most. I just thought I was completely out on Boston midway through this year. Um, and they've had a huge turnaround. Jason Tatum's better. They're, and Udoka has just – Udoka's turned this team around. They, I'm telling you, man, like the – their offense is so great because, dude, I think they have an offensive rating over the last 10, like 127. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you heard the true shooting numbers, the production. It's nuts. Um, Celtics fooled me. I'd say the Pelicans fooled me. And then after mm. the McCollum trade, they've been great. The two negative ones, if we're going to get into it, no team fooled Logan Camden harder than the New York Knicks. And yeah. I talked about this yesterday with one of my friends. We were walking down the street uh, coming back from playing pickup basketball. And... Uh, yeah, man, Nick's got me. Game one, Evan Fournier goes off. It's a big three. MSG is rocking. Uh, you know, we have all these <laughs> side talk interviews after the game, after they beat the Celtics. It's huge. Yeah. I literally, I think I said to you, Carson, the Knicks are going to the finals. That did not age too well. You're a very excitable young man. I am a very excitable young man. It's one of my best qualities. <laughs> I agree. Um, Julius Randle, uh, you know, regressed to, to what we thought he was. And it's weird. This is kind of the big component about the Knicks that I, I talked to my friend about is, um, it, like, Randle, I, I can't tell if it was luck. Like, Randle was literally just lucky for a year and was just kind of hitting tough shots. And now Julius Randle has become uh, what we expected him to be. Why, why are you cheesing so hard? 
You're doing a Christmas card? Carson Logan, is just staring. It's a podcast. Carson this is staring is an and audio smiling intently into the camera. Medium. Um, the Knicks they got me, They can't even see me. A lot of Knicks fans are uh, are big on RJ um, as a superstar. Uh, I, I don't think RJ is a superstar. I think he's a number two or a number three on a really good team. Uh, I think RJ is a Swiss Army knife. He can do a little bit of everything. He can handle a little bit. He's gotten better at scoring out of the mid-range. He's a decent three-point shooter. He is a great defender. I don't think R.J. Baird is a future NBA superstar, though. I, I question if he's even an all-star mm-hmm. at any point in his career. I think people are just a little too overzealous on that train. Um, I am excited for the future of the Knicks. I like a lot of the young talent here. But, I mean, what a fall-off. I went from going, man, this team is is going yeah. to win the NBA Finals to, yeah, I can't wait for them to fire Tom Thibodeau and so I can see how these young, guy look, these young guys look. Because I do. I like Obi. I like Deuce McBride. I like Jericho Sims. I like Emmanuel Quickly. I like Quentin Grimes. I like Deuce McBride. Um, I like RJ a lot. Like, there's a ton of young talent. I like Cam Reddish, too. Mm-hmm. We just never get to see him play. Um, yeah. So I'm excited for the future. But yeah, I mean, what a fall off. Yeah. From finals contenders to, yeah, I can't wait to see what they look like next year. The Knicks got me. Yeah. I don't want to do my whole Knicks spiel a million times over, but. You know, I was very anti-Knicks last year when it came to the playoff conversation. And the reason for that was their offensive ineptitude and over-reliance on Julius Randle and all these things. And I thought they were going to be a lot better. And uh, they just lost a lot defensively. Frankly, they just... Julius Randle is just not a lead option offensively. Like, what we saw last year, I genuinely believe, was flukish. And the playmaking development, I think, was real. But the difficult shot-making, mm-hmm. just anomaly season was certainly not real. And that was really, really important to what he did was just making those tough mid-range buckets over and over again. And then other than that, it's just like Kemba obviously proved to be irrelevant. And I thought he was going to be a really good value pickup. Like, I think the Knicks are the choice. I think that for them to be sitting here now 35 and 44 <laughs> invested in this core, I mean, Tibbs has to be gone. Like, yeah, I thought that they were going to be a top five team out East early in the season. They're obviously just bad. They're just really bad. Yeah, the Knicks are a good choice. And then if we're going to go a step further, the only other option has to be the Washington Wizards. Mm-hmm. I mean, very early on in the season, it was like, you know, first month of the year. Wizards held down that one seed for a minute, man. Yeah. Um, and there's still a lot of things to like about D.C. Um, are there? Denny Avdiha. That's about it. Sort of list starts and stops. Uh, Denny has been really good this year. Um, he's also a very handsome young man. Uh, shout out. Oh, what I can't I can't appreciate a man's beauty on the podcast. You can and you yeah. should. Denny's a handsome fella. Yeah, dude. Washington. I was excited. I was like, okay, maybe they maybe they make the playoffs. And then the bottom just fell out. They moved Bertans. They moved Dinwiddie. They bring in Kristaps, and uh, here they are. I think the Knicks are just a much better choice because we all saw yeah. them coming. Like, we saw the Wizards falling off right. you know, a, a mile away. Yeah. The Knicks, I had, to, I had to wait to sell my stock on them. Yeah, I mean, it was just the level that they reached defensively early in the year was pretty impressive. And, you know, I mean, they did have some standout performances this year. Obviously, the evolution of Kuz has been super impressive, mm-hmm. but, like, Nobody ever thought that the Wizards were actually going to matter. I didn't, at least. Like, when we were like, hey, are the Wizards actually good? It was like, yeah, I think they can make it into the play-in, you know? And uh, 
the Knicks are a half game better than them and certainly had higher expectations than that. So I think you have the right choices. I think maybe the only other team that people might throw out there is the Bulls. I know people have just gone off on the Bulls on how they're frauds because they haven't beaten the best teams in the league. But they've been healthy. Yeah, I truly do believe that. I think that the defensive ceiling they showed early in the year, you know, with their healthy guys on the perimeter, by the way, when they didn't even have Pat, was enough to make them a really scary team. And I know that the Lonzo updates are confusing, and uh, I don't know if I mean, we're going to see him. I'm sure he's going to miss a remainder of the year. Yeah, there's another setback now as of an hour ago. So that really matters for them. That That is a big-time bummer. But I still think that the Bulls are in a different class, certainly, than the other two teams that we've mentioned. Like, I think the healthy Bulls are really, really good. All right, any final thoughts, Logan? Before we wrap this puppy up. None. Let's wrap it like a present. All right. Well, I'm not so good at wrapping presents because my fine motor skills ain't so great. But this was a podcast. There were two guys on it, each of them holding one microphone, talking about sports and athletics, mostly the basketball known as the NBA National Basketball Association. If you enjoyed the podcast, possible made by viewers like you on PBS, go to pbs.com to check out viewers like you and go to the website. Go to youtube.com for other content. Also by the nerds at Nerd Sesh. Check out TikTok is at Nerd Sesh and Instagram is also the same handle. And if you go to Twitter and also Twitch at nerd underscore sessions where you can find us live doing talking live. And that's on sometimes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and sometimes on Tuesday, Friday. It depends on how many shows we happen to be doing. Sometimes even Monday, Friday. You can check us out website, nerdsesh.com, and listen to the podcast wherever your ears fancy. Wherever your ears want to go, we've got it, baby. Apple, Spotify, and Orange all the other websites. And with that, as always, this has been your boy, Carson Brabber. You killed that outro. I just want to <laughs> let you know that, Carson. That was a, ma- that was a masterpiece. I've been Thanks. Logan Camden. This was Nerd Sesh. Nerd Sesh.